Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We three kings of Orient are. Catchy little tune with a nice lyrical hook, isn't it? There was a time not so many years ago where you would hear it piped over the loudspeakers of shopping centers during Advent or played every few hours on the radio as part of their holiday music rotation. Nowadays, if you hear it all in a public setting, it's very likely to be just the music and not the lyrics. After all, they can't have those troublesome words in there referring to the perfect light or a king born in Bethlehem or the worship of a deity or his suffering, death, or resurrection, offending the ears of all of those eagerly overspending customers. Now, can they? I was surprised to learn a few years ago that this particular song was actually written and composed by a pastor. What surprised me most was that he had gone somewhat beyond the revelation of Holy Scripture about these visitors and put forth the unsubstantiated tradition that there were three visitors just because there were three gifts. He also wrote that the visitors were kings rather than what the Bible clearly says they were magi or wise men. When you start inserting non-biblical conjecture into what a hymn ought to be, a clear witness to the truth of the scriptural message, then you're playing with fire. As popular and as familiar as this Christmas carol might be, it's interesting to note that it didn't find its way into any of our more recent Lutheran hymnals. I suspect that's because our hymnal developers had similar reservations about the accuracy of the theological message which we three kings of Orient are conveys. Now, I'm not advocating that we launch a campaign to eradicate the song from Advent or Christmas or Epiphany season. After all, other than the somewhat inaccurate title and first opening line, the rest of the lyrics of the song do give a great testament to Jesus as God and King and Savior. They are just the sort of words that we ought to celebrate, that we ought to hope to infiltrate into the world around us, even if they do irritate unbelieving shoppers or make retailers cower in fear. If such words received more public proclamation, perhaps God would lead many more people to their own epiphany concerning his son Jesus Christ. But we can peel away the word three as, spec as speculative. We can eliminate the king's part as not agreeing with the clear sense of the Bible's words. We can even call into question the of Orient. They did come from the East, after all, but it's very unlikely that they journeyed all the way from the Orient as we know and define it here in Western culture. What then are we left with? Only two words remain, don't they? We are. Those men who at their essence can only be accurately described as we are came to worship the incarnate I am. After stripping away all of the adjectives, all of the pretense and the human knowledge and even the costly gifts that they carried, these visitors who came to worship the newborn king came before him just as we ourselves do, offering nothing at all of any value which God himself has not provided in the first place. For what do we bring Jesus after all?
What do we carry before him and lay at his feet? What does our collective we are bring to the great I am? We said it quite clearly not all that long ago, didn't we? You know, back there on page 151. We are, by nature, sinful and unclean. We are sinners in thought, word, and deed. We are offenders, both by commission and omission. We are withholders of love from God and from our neighbor. We are deserving of punishment, both in this temporal life and forever. So, of course, were the Magi, whether they were three or three hundred, whether kings or astrologers, whether they were from just a short distance east, or whether they really had traveled afar over field and fountain, moor and mountain. They came seeking the king of the Jews because they had seen a star. They could only have known that that star signified such a birth. How? Only by having heard or read the word of God. It's there. It's there in the scriptures that Moses and Isaiah and Daniel gave prophetic witness to the signs, to the time frame, and to the circumstances for the Messiah's birth. And much of those scriptures had found their way eastward during the exile of the Jews. Daniel himself served as an advisor to the king's court in Babylon. Now upon their arrival in Jerusalem, known to be that city of the Jews where kings come to rule, and where they receive their crowns and come into their glory. The word of God reveals still more to these magi. The king's birth is to be in Bethlehem, a nearby town. Herod's initial consternation at their inquiry then quickly turns to intrigue and even conspiracy. Just when did this star appear, Herod wants to know. He wants to ensure that he can properly identify any potential rivals so that he can destroy them like he's destroyed so many other threats during his rule, including his own wife and three of his sons. Herod even wants to make the Magi his stalking horses to root out the threat, letting them do the grunt work of locating the child under the guise of having a similar desire to worship this new king. Now, the Bible doesn't indicate that they necessarily agreed to Herod's request, only that they heard it and then departed. Here we discover another detail that the songwriter of We Three Kings and the writer of several other Christmas songs get wrong. It is only after the visit with Herod that the Bible tells us that the star led them to where they should go. Prior to that, they saw the star as a sign of the king's birth, not necessarily as a guiding beacon. That's why they first went to Jerusalem. And we don't even know for sure that it was to Bethlehem that the star led them to see Jesus, although that does make for a nice traditional manger scene. By this time, Jesus may have already been circumcised. The time of Mary's purification may have even been completed. Nevertheless, the Magi come before the Lord in awe and in respect, bowing down and offering costly treasures from God's own good creation. Gold as a gift honoring a king. Frankincense as a priest's sacrifice, giving a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Myrrh 
as a tribute to the suffering and death of a prophet. But they didn't bring these gifts in order to curry Jesus' favor. They weren't trying to form an alliance with him or pay him off for some great good that he had done for them. They weren't trying to trumpet their knowledge. They weren't trying to demonstrate how clever they had been in figuring out how to find him. They knew that there had been divine guidance both during and both before and during their journey. The Word of God was there to enlighten their minds, and the star was there in the heavens to illuminate their path. They came before their Lord and their Creator in faith and in worship, with heavenly things, not earthly things, on their minds. They understood that if this birth could cause such a stir among the religious leaders of His own people, such fear in a powerful and ruthless earthly king, and such a wondrous sign in the skies, he was certainly no, earth, so no earthly ordinary child, certainly no run-of-the-mill king. Had the Magi only been wise in the earthly sense, they would have looked at Jesus and at his modest parents and concluded that there was no way this child was of royal blood. But they had been granted understanding which goes beyond visual appearances and runs contrary to reason. They saw with the eyes of faith those things that are hoped for and yet not seen. Epiphany means a revelation, a coming to an understanding of something not previously known or comprehended. We celebrate this special day in part because it commemorates the first encountering of Jesus by those outside the household of Israel, by those intrepid travelers from a distant land. More importantly, though, we celebrate tonight that we too have been informed and enlightened by God's Word and led before the King of all creation. Bowing before Him, we cannot offer a single good thing that originates within us, no matter what we might bring. All we can bring is our sinfulness, our worthlessness, our weaknesses, our disbelief. All we can offer to heap upon Him is the burden of our transgressions, the many times in various ways that we've done violence to His law and resisted His will. And willingly, He accepts these burdens. Lovingly and patiently, He picks them up and draws them to Himself. He bathes Himself in the dark poison of our sins and wraps Himself in our despicable unrighteousness. And that is where the real gift-giving begins. The precious token of God's eternal and limitless love for you is not wrapped in brightly colored paper, tied with shiny ribbons, or adorned with fancy bows. It's wrapped in rags. It lies sleeping in coarse, dry plant stalks. It's bones and flesh and blood encased in new pink skin that will then be pounded with fists torn by whips and thorns, punctured by nails, and pierced by spear. Gaze this night, if you will. Gaze on this twelfth night of Christmas upon what your true love truly gave you. Himself. All of Himself. Nothing held back. Not even His very life. Let Him wrap you up then as a precious gift back to Himself. May the garment of His righteousness, washed in His own life-giving blood, be draped upon you. 
Be covered in His love each time you remember being drenched with His cleansing water. May His proclaimed word of forgiveness be a soft, comforting bed upon which you lie in quiet confidence. Be drawn again and again and again to His table where He gives you His very self, the body that was broken and bloodied for you. Here in His house, He makes you His own gift by giving and giving and giving still more, fulfilling all of His promises and promising even greater gifts yet to come. So be wise. Follow the signs that your Lord has given you for your journey. Let His Word guide you into His presence. Return not to the ruler of this world and take a different path to your eternal home. Most of all, dear Gentiles, enjoy your gifts. Enjoy all of His gifts, both now and forever. Amen. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you.